Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 24. We will be looking at the first portion of this chapter, Isaiah chapter 24. As I began preparing for this message, I thought that I could do the whole of 24, but as I got into the deep end of the pool, I realized that I couldn't really swim. So I needed to do a thing to kind of split it up into two weeks because I think it would be better for all of of us if we did that. And so we'll be looking at the first 16 verses of Isaiah chapter 24. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for help with the text. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we come to another difficult section of this book. And it's difficult because oftentimes we don't like what we read or because we just lack understanding. You are able to fix both of those problems. You're able to fix our hearts so that we will love your word more. And you're able to give us wisdom so that we can have understanding. And so, Lord, we pray that you come among us now and do both in ever-increasing portions for us, your people, who long to hear your word and who want to know more about you and how we ought to live. We pray this in your name. Amen. So as I read through this text, it made me think of a gift that I had got from a student. Um, as actually last August, I had a student bring me a potato. And I know that sounds really strange, but... Uh, students just bring stuff to me all the time that they think looks strange, you know, so they'll bring me like a bug or a crawdad. One time they bought me a crawdad that they actually had saved from the mouth of a crow outside. And this was kind of funny. So this kid brought me a potato, and it was an unusual potato because it was a funny-shaped potato by itself, and then it had another little potato growing off of it, and that potato was also funny-shaped. So I was like, okay, I'll just set it in my windowsill. And so I did that for the whole year last year and it started to grow these little green horns out of the side of it and the horns got bigger and as the horns grew bigger there's probably a better name for it than horns but as the horns grew bigger the potato actually started to shrivel and shrink and really look really rough Uh, and it made those horns even bigger and so fast forward an entire year, this year, the potato's still in there. I went to my room maybe like half of the time all summer, but the potato was sitting in my windowsill with big green horns and a little bitty now potato. And I was like, you know, I'm going to do something. So I put it in some soil and put some water on it just to see what would happen because it needed more nutrients and it needed more water in order to rebound. And I put it in the windowsill and we'll have to wait till next week to figure out what happened next because... I'm going to get into our text now, which in our text today, there's a dramatic shift away from this judgment of all the nations toward the judgment of the entire globe. Not just the nations and the people, but now the entirety of creation is going to feel the brunt of God's judgment. This is like the global event, like the flood back in Genesis. Everyone, everything is affected. The loss is nearly total. I say nearly because God is merciful and He will always spare a remnant as we will see in our passage today. 
But like the potato, the earth was being used up by its inhabitants, or is being used up by its inhabitants. And the Creator will come, according to this passage, according to many others in Scripture, and set things right. This isn't a judgment necessarily on our use of the land. It is that. But it's also just a judgment on our disobedience to God's law. It doesn't point to a time that will be difficult in history. And I want to make sure we understand that. This doesn't point to a time one day when things will get rough, but we'll get out of it because we'll, we'll persevere. This points to the end of history. This is it. And so as we move through the next four chapters of Isaiah, we're going to see this type of apocalyptic literature coming forth. It's good because it's very easy for us to get wrapped up in our own day-to-day without keeping the end in mind. Literally, the end in mind. And it may seem a bit morbid to keep the end in mind in this regard, but we'll see that the true purpose of this type of judgment is ultimately the glory of God, which, of course, us as His children should always long for. And so as we consider this text, I want to divide it into two sections today, the emptying of the earth and then the song of the remnant. And so with that, let's look together at Isaiah 24, first 16 verses. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 24, starting at verse 1. Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and He will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with the master, as with the maid, so with their mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers, the world languishes and withers, the highest people of earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down. Every house is shut up so that no one can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine. All joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations, as when the olive tree is beaten, as the, at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. They lift up their voices, they sing for joy. Over the majesty of the Lord they shout from the west. Therefore in the east give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise of glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away, I waste away, woe is me. For the traitors have betrayed, with betrayal the traitors have betrayed. 
Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I mentioned the word. I mentioned the word apocalypse earlier. Not an uncommon word at all in our language, but it is something that is a particular type of literature that we see in Scripture. One whole book dedicated to that in the Revelation as we're going through in Sunday school, and then portions of other books dedicated to that as we see here in this text in Isaiah. The word apocalypse means literally an unveiling, like a, a showing the truth. You can kind of imagine something like a towel or a sheet over something, and then you taking that off and unveiling that thing, showing everyone there. In the book of Revelation, there's a great picture of this unveiling. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. As we continue our quest to quote the entire book of Revelation as we go through the book of Isaiah. Revelation chapter 5, and I'll read the first five verses. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and to look upon it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look at it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Of course, this is speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the one who is able to open those seals. And what do they reveal? Well, if you continue to read through this book, as we will in Sunday school, they reveal the end times. They are being unveiled. As each of those seals is broken, the last days, one by one, are shown to John, to the angels, to the elders, all of those unworthy and unable to open the seals. Jesus Christ comes and reveals them to them. And again, look at what's going on here around the throne. Those elders, those creatures of God, all part of his creation, John the one who is being shown this in Revelation. First of all, what was his reaction to not being able to see it? He wept loudly. And then how do they react once they know that they're going to be able to see it? Praise and worship abound around the throne of God. Their response to the coming judgment, to the coming apocalypse of Jesus is not sorrow but instead is rejoicing. As we work through this chapter and those that are upcoming, it's important for us to keep before us this idea of the sovereignty of God. And we say this a lot. We use the word sovereignty of God a lot, but understand what we mean by that. It is His authority to do whatever, however He pleases. We sang this morning, Whate'er my God ordains is right. Understand what the song is saying. Whatever he ordains, by definition, is right. He doesn't do wrong. He can't. It's not possible. Well, our view of it may be, I don't like that. 
but it is right because he did it. One of the commentators that I read said this concerning God's sovereignty in this particular section of Isaiah. He said, only a God whose control of history is so complete that he could bring it to the clo- to a close at any moment is worth worshiping. That is the God that we worship. The God that we worship, the only true God, had the power to speak creation into existence and he is able to speak it into destruction as well. He is no less good or right or just for doing that. In fact, we'll see that it's his mercy that is put on plain display here today for us as we read through this chapter. So with that, let's look at the first point, the emptying of the earth. Verse 1, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. In Luke chapter 12, a very uh, important chapter in in the book of Luke, Jesus says this, he says, Stay dressed for action. And keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he knock, when he comes and knocks. What's Jesus' word to those who wait for this last day? Be ready when he comes and not only that, open the door for him when he gets there. Here's Isaiah making it plain that there is a day that's coming when the Lord will judge the whole earth, that history will come to a close. And again, this isn't He's going to judge Assyria and Assyria is going to go away. He's going to judge Babylon and Babylon's going away. This is He's going to judge creation and history is going away. It's a completely different idea. Isaiah, note, isn't afraid of that day. In fact, he is waiting to open the door so to speak. The child of God has nothing to fear when his Father comes from heaven. Absolutely nothing to fear. This doesn't mean that we take him less serious or regard him with less respect. We just know that he intends no eternal harm to us, his children. And so we can read these verses without fear. And Let me encourage you with that before we go forward. We get the picture of Babel, Babel, as the scattering of the people. Think of the global flood. The entire landscape is changed. It says that the the surface of the earth is twisted. Pretty rough. This isn't a scattering of everyone into like moving away from the bad spot. There the whole earth is a bad spot in this regard. And notice the scope of his judgment in verses two and three. It shall be as with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with the master. And he goes on. He's no respecter of persons. There's no particular group of people that is going to be left out. All types of people, rich, poor, slave, free, will fall under his judgment. There's no specificity here other than all who deserve judgment will receive it. And that's it. And I love in verse the end of verse 3, For the Lord has spoken His Word. Hopefully this should take us back to the beginning of creation when He spoke His Word and brought things into existence like matter and time. And now He is speaking the earth into destruction. Notice, I did choose the word destruction instead of non-existence. The Lord's plan for all of His inhabitants 
is for them to be around, for the earth itself to continue to be around. They're not going to cease to exist somehow. We don't read that His plan for His creation or us, any one of us, is annihilation. But instead, for some of us, it is redemption. And for those to be found in their, st- in their sin still, eternal judgment. That's it. Verses 4 and 5. The earth mourns and withers. The earth is defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed His laws. This is what made me think of the potato. The earth being defiled because of its inhabitants, those horns... On the potato are good. The potato itself, you know, that's how it grows and how it reproduces. But for me to look at the potato, it was like, oh, that's just hideous. I wish the horns would go away because it was sucking the life out of the potato. But for the potato, that's how life came to be. It was drying up, literally. How have the people on earth defiled it? Notice he says the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. Well, how did that happen? For they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. That's how they did it. And what has this caused? Verse 6, because of this, therefore, a curse devours the earth. We're all familiar with this. And its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. A curse devours the earth. And to make sure you understand that as the earth, as the, the Lord comes in to judge the earth, though we are covenant breakers, He Himself is not coming when He comes to judge the earth. He is actually keeping coming to keep the terms of the covenant. He's not throwing it out. He's not saying, oh, that agreement doesn't even work. He's not walking away from His own obligations therein, except for that He is now fulfilling the terms of the covenant, which say, in the day that you eat of it, in the day that you can't follow my law, you shall surely die. From that day forward, man has been covenant breakers. Adam and Eve and all that came from them, they would have to pay for their transgression of the law. That day was coming, and here it is. In Isaiah 24, the passage continues on, and it talks about the wine going away and the tambourines going away. You kind of get the idea of a party and it's being replaced with a bunch of sadness. And then you get there again, the picture of the olive tree there in verse 13. For thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations as when an olive tree is beaten, as at the gleaning when the great harvest is done. We saw that same picture in chapter 17. Most of the fruit... Most of the fruit falls from the tree and is gathered up and is put into the presses. Just like what we see creation being done here. As we come to passages like this, we have to be reminded of the importance of preaching the full text of Scripture. It would be totally possible, just like it would be totally possible to come to any text of Scripture... To go to a text of Scripture, to see a particular picture of God, and to get a completely different picture of what the whole Bible teaches. For instance, we could just come to this and see God as a God of wrath alone. And this is all that He has for us. Of course, we know that's not what's going on in our own culture. It's probably the opposite, right? 
It's easy to read a passage like Psalm 23, for instance, and read that the Lord is our shepherd and that we'll never want for anything and then stop there as if there is no valley of shadow of death. Or we could read John 3.16. We hear this one a lot, right? That God so loved the world and just be done there and forgetting that his love and the kind of love that he loved the world with demands justice that we see here. In fact, we could read the whole verse about God giving His Son. That's a good part too because it has to do with us. Somehow think that He was a gift to us. His Son was a gift to us and it really cost God nothing at all. You know, like Santa and his elves just kind of conjuring something out of thin air. Sin deserves wrath and God's wrath is always a part of who He is. Just like His love is displayed in how He cares for people, His wrath is displayed in the days of judgment that are being unveiled here in this passage. In fact, there is no place that we can see His love and His wrath intertwined and put on full display other than the cross of Jesus Christ. The love of God is on display there, is it not? We just quoted John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. How did He give Him? To die. That is the love of God. But His wrath is also displayed there too. Because Jesus didn't hang up there for a little while for a photo op and then get down. He died. The reason that He died is because the Father poured out His full wrath that was due me, that was due to you, on Jesus Christ. And it wasn't for those people who will taste this kind of final judgment. Their wrath is coming to them. Instead, Jesus took the wrath that was due to us, His children, people of God. He stood in their place so that they could stand with Him for all eternity. And you see that in these next few verses. Look at verses 14 through 16 with me. Before that, actually, go back to 6. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and a few men are left. Now, um, they aren't there because the Lord didn't hit where he was aiming. That makes sure that we understand that. There are disasters all the time and whole countries are left decimated. We've seen that even recently with this hurricane that hit the Bahamas. This just completely destroyed this country. However, there are still people that can claim that they're from from the Bahamas. It's a rough life for them right now, but guess what they did? They survived. Could be from proper planning, some other circumstance or consequence in their life, of course, all of which is left up to the Lord, but they survived the storm. These times of the Lord's judgment that we're reading about here, there will be people left, but it won't be because they survived. It won't be because they were somehow, the Lord missed them with whatever sort of judgment He's bringing and they just made it. It will be because they were Spared judgment by the one who could have spoken and everything completely ceased to be. 
We don't need to see God as this disaster that's sweeping across the land. He is one that speaks and things come about or things cease to be completely. Why were they spared then? Again, we go back to that everlasting covenant. We understand the truth of the Old Testament and the New Testament that tells us that God has a people for himself. He always has. He always will. And those that he has kept from the foundations of the earth, those who are called in the New Testament his chosen ones, his elect, they aren't elect because of their skill. They didn't survive this because they were able to weather the storm. They definitely weren't there because of their own righteousness somehow. If that were so, it would diminish the song that they're singing in this passage. No, they're elect because of God's goodness. His desire to save some of those that would have otherwise surely died as well as they deserved. Look at verses 14 through 16. Let's read this together. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore, in the east, give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. Notice the songs of the praises of the elect. Sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. This is after this horrible thing has happened to the earth. Give glory to the Lord. Give glory to the name of the Lord. Songs of praise of glory to the righteous one. These songs aren't about righteous ones, about their own devotion to the Lord and their prayers and their words. These aren't about the great things that they're singing. These are songs about the righteous one, Jesus Christ, the Holy One of Israel, there in the last day, as we read in Revelation 5. What were they singing around the throne of Jesus Christ? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He was the one that was worthy, not anyone else. All those words are about Him. There is no room for self-glory. God gets all the glory. In fact, self-glory resulted in the carnage from the previous passage. God shares glory with no one. And then look at 16b. It's kind of this weird little break. And how should we take this? But I say, this is Isaiah interjecting here, but I say, I waste away. I waste away, woe is me. For the traitors have betrayed, with betrayal the traitors have betrayed. He's seeing this vision of the future. He looks around him and he, well, he's seeing this vision that there will be a remnant. There will be one that will give glory to the Lord even in the midst of that horrible judgment. And then he looks around him and what does he see? He sees his current situation. He sees the worship of his people and he's sad. The people of the northern kingdom by this time have been completely driven into exile as we remember their history. The people of Judah have thrown Assyria back off the gates of Jer- Jerusalem Of course, they didn't do that. It was the Lord Himself that did that. Yet the song of their lips from chapter 22, Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. 
Isaiah, looking at the people around him, has no hope for his people. And he has no hope that this vision is going to come true. That there will be a remnant to sing these songs. It might be easy for us to look around the world. To look at the world and say, make, and that for, for that to make us sad. And we should. We should look around the world and see the unbeliever. Jesus says that they are, are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They need a witness, and that's us. However, Isaiah was looking at God's people. When I look at the state of the church, especially in this country, that's what I think as well. Woe is me. The traitors have betrayed. The betrayal of the traitors have betrayed. The church calls themselves God's people, yet we act as if God is a thing that we can somehow manipulate however we please. That we're actually sovereign, that He's really not. He kind of does what we ask Him to do or tell Him to do. He's bound by us, not the other way around. We have defiled the church by mixing the truth of God's Word with the lies of the world. We have made worship a carnival. We've made preaching a motivational speech. Our churches are event centers and our pastors have become used car salesmen. Notice, I keep using we because if we ever think that we can divorce ourselves from the problem, us, this church, point fingers, we stand as accusers of that, at that point. There's only one accuser of the brethren, brothers and sisters. We do not want to be on his side. So what can we do then? We repent. We repent for those times that we don't worship him as we ought to. We repent of those times that we thought we did it better than everyone else. Because really we stand with them. Were Isaiah here today, he'd say the same words. And he wouldn't add the words except for Redeemer community. He would look around and he would think, is this ever going to be true? All the right worship in the world, all the good expository preaching in the world won't help a wicked heart. There's only one who can do that. And that is the one who we must flee to, brothers and sisters. He is the only righteous one. We cannot sing songs about our own righteousness. If we start to, then we're losing the point here. It's not about us. It's about Him. And so in conclusion, if you think you can somehow dodge this day of judgment, you can't. You'll come face to face with Jesus one way or the other. You'll either die before He returns and then you'll, you'll face Him. You'll, you'll see Him first. Or you'll be around when the earth is emptied and He twists its surface and scatters its inhabitants. One way or the other, you're going to meet Him, the righteous one. And upon hearing these words, you have been given the information. Call upon His name and be saved today from the coming judgment. It is coming. This isn't a fairy tale. It's going to happen. Call upon His name and be saved. If you wait till then, it's going to be too late. You will still call upon His name one day. But by then, it will be too late. Call upon His name today. Be saved. If you do know Him, Brothers and sisters, let us make our calling and election sure 
Let us be the ones who will stand among those who were left and, and sing the praises of the Redeemer, not of us. Let us sing the praises of the Righteous One. Let us repent in our own sin and lead God's people in a right worship of Him. Let's go to Him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, we pray that You fix our hearts if we ever thought we could ever do it right without You. Because You are the center of our worship. You are the center of all creation. You stand alone as the Righteous One. We can only call ourselves righteous because of what You have done. Because of what You have given us. And so Lord, we pray that You help us. Our hearts are wicked. They are focused only on ourselves. And we need repentance. Lord, we pray that You guide us to repentance. So that we can guide others. So that we can show others. And Lord, we pray, most of all, that it be for Your glory and Your glory alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.